0: You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast. Where our desire as the family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. So we're gonna we're still gonna have some worship at the end. I just uh, kind of felt to flip it this morning. Give us some space just to let people enter in after my message and see what uh, Jesus wants to do in and through us today. So if you've been following um, or been here over the last couple months, we've been kind of on this theme of, of talking about maturity as a Christian, maturity in Christ. This idea that Jesus doesn't just want us to come to knowing him, but he actually wants us to grow into what he's created us to be that we're not supposed to remain as little children, right? In Hebrews, the writer there calls them little babies, but they're supposed to be maturing Christians. There's this place where we're supposed to grow into everything Christ has designed us as humans, not just as Christians, but as humans to be. That we're supposed to look a certain way and act a certain way and and model life a certain way. And, And Jesus came to show us that. And so we've been talking on this theme and And, you know, in the midst of that, just really believing that God wants to do something in us this year, that he wants to shape us, that he wants us to be, to, you know, kind of, in a sense, go deeper in knowing him. And so this morning's message is is definitely on the tailcoats of that, but it's also purposely something different, and that's why I wanted to flip this service. And so um, the theme today is this, humility, (laughs) humility. And I really think that the more mature a person actually is, when you come to know them, you realize the more humility they actually have. And so I want to read some scriptures from Jesus, and I want to read some scriptures, you know, just from throughout the Bible that kind of lend to this idea of what is humility about, and why does it matter so much to what God is shaping in you and I. And so the first one I wanted to read from is Matthew 5-5. We know this scripture, if you've been in church at all in your life, this is known as the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And one of them is this. In uh, verse 5 of chapter 5 of Matthew, he says, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. So you've got this sermon where Jesus starts out but these things we call the Beatitudes, or these blessings, and kind of over-humanity and what they should look like. Now, here's the point of why Jesus starts this way in this whole sermon. It's because he's trying to upend the way they think. You see, he's speaking mostly to the Jewish people of the day, the religious people of the day, those who on the earth were supposed to be representing God, and he gives them these These number of blessings, these beatitudes. And the reason he's saying this is because he thinks, and he knows, really, that we aren't thinking right anymore. And so he says this thing. He says, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Now listen, let's just think about our real-life world right now. In our world, in the way we function as humanity... Inheriting the whole earth, think about this. Those who actually rise to power are rarely humble. In fact, the opposite seems true. The the less humble a person is, the more they tend to gain influence in the world. I could name many political figures that you would all know. But I'm not going to make enemies today. There's this place where humility... Isn't this natural thing for us as humans, and especially when we talk about power and we talk about influence, yet Jesus promises that if we're humble, we'll inherit the whole earth. That the actual kingdom way of seeing things, the actual kingdom way of influence, the actual kingdom way of having power in our lives, is not through overt power, but actually humility. 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 And humility is this interesting idea. I mean, have you ever, you've, I mean, actually, I'll just say, have you ever met? It's you. Okay? You've met yourself. And we all do this. Fake humility. Right? Or we, we, we post things online. Like, I see this all the time in the Christian world. Like, hey, let's make sure we make a big, long video about how we help somebody. I'm like, I'm not sure that was the intention of what Jesus wants us to do there's this place where yes we want to serve people and we want to help people and we want to care for people but we do it in this sense where we want everyone to know about it at that point you've lost the humility in it but yet we see this this scripture where Jesus says if you want to inherit the whole earth and I don't even know what that means other than the kingdom of God at the end of all this and the fact that he's going to restore all things and we get to come into his kingdom with him, I don't know what that means, but inheriting the whole earth is based on our humility. I'm not sure many of us qualify. I'm raising my hand with you. But here we see Jesus talking about humility as this base understanding that if we want to be those who actually follow Christ, it has to be in humility. I, you know... I think to myself that somewhere in the line of things especially in western christianity we've lost this that we we think that the more god's going to do is because we shouted louder or because we made bigger signs or because we stood on street corners and and used bullhorns or because we posted the right posts on facebook that that somehow if we're just loud enough then people are going to come to know jesus but actually i really think that humility is the basis of what is going to actually do something in people's lives. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. 1 Peter 5.5, 5, in your notes as well, it's right there. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And then Peter, he's writing this letter to the churches, and he quotes a Proverbs. This is Proverbs 3.34. He says, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I think it was almost two years ago, I spoke a message here, uh, like the summer before this last one, and I talked about this parable of the wedding feast, and if you were here, maybe you remember, I I went through the parable of the wedding feast, where you've got this story where this king has this wedding that's going to happen, and this feast that's going to happen, and he basically invites people into the feast, but then they don't come, right, they're busy, they don't have... Uh, You know, they don't basically prioritize the wedding, and so they're busy because of it. So he starts sending out other invitations, and it gets funny in there. Well, he ends up inviting, it says, to to the highways and byways, he says, good and bad alike, invite everybody in. And so he invites everybody in, and upon inviting everybody in, there's this scene where it says the king comes out, and he goes up to this man who isn't dressed appropriately for the wedding. And he says, he goes to him and he says, where are your wedding clothes? Now, I find this funny, and I spoke on this, and I'm not going to do the whole message, but in our mind, we're looking going, wait a second, you just invited anybody and everybody. You know, nobody would come to the wedding, so now you've opened the doors to everyone, and now you're just annoyed at what they're wearing? That seems a little weird. But the truth was, and what we don't understand in the Western context, was that if you came to a wedding, your, your clothes were provided for you. It was kind of like, when you walk in the door to our weddings, you, you know, they'll say bride or groom, and you'll sit on one side or the other. When well, on those weddings, they would say bride or groom, and they would give you a certain set of clothes, and it was representing who you were actually there with. And so you were given clothes to walk in, and so the king comes to this person who's been provided the right clothes for the wedding, and he says, hey, where's your clothes? And the king, and the guy "It sa- says, he has no answer, which... Again, not a good idea. When a king asks you a question, you're supposed to answer him. And then the the story takes like a really harsh turn. It says the king takes his men and says, take him, bind his hands and feet and throw him into outer darkness. And it's this like harsh moment where you see this king and there's this punishment for him not putting on the clothes, but what we see is that he was actually given the right clothes to wear But for some reason, he wouldn't put them on. And he had no reason for even not putting them on. And so when we look through Scripture and we get to 1 Peter 5.5, the reason I'm mentioning this whole story again, you see the writers, you'll see Paul use this language. They constantly say this, clothe yourself. Because there's this place where God comes into our life and we have an experience with Jesus And then he's like, awesome. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm glad you're my child now. I'm glad that you've accepted the grace on the cross. But now here's some clothes. You need to change because your clothes are kind of ugly. The stuff you're wearing isn't quite what I've designed you to wear. You don't look exactly the way that I desire for you to look. You aren't in all the things that I've promised and created for you. And so listen, don't worry about it. You don't even really have to do much. You just have to put them on. Here they are. But yet this guy in the wedding doesn't put them on. And then we get to Peter, and he's using the same language. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. And the point, the beginning point of this message is this. Humility is not something that happens to you. You see, we have this idea that like, When a bad situation occurs in your life, or maybe when an embarrassing situation happens to you, you're like, oh God, that was so humbling. There's like a half-truth there, but the humility that the Bible talks about is 100% volitional. It's something you have to put yourself on. You have to clothe yourself in it. And Peter's reminding them, he's saying, listen, put the clothes on that have been provided for you. Clothe yourself in humility. If you want to look like what Christ has designed you to look like, you have to put this thing on. You actually have to put on humility. James 4, 6, I put it in your notes too. He he says similar things. He says, humble yourselves before, before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. There's this place. We're called to humble ourselves. Now listen, circumstances of life can humble us. But the humility that marks maturity in the scriptures is when we humble ourselves. Now here's the funny thing about getting dressed. You have to do it every day. I mean, I hope you're not wearing the same clothes that you slept in last night. And the clothes you wore the day before and the day before and the day before. There's this idea of clothing ourselves that I think is important in Christianity. Sometimes it's like we have an experience with Jesus. We come to the cross and we're like, and even then maybe we put on the clothes of humility. The truth is you can't come to the cross without humility. It's impossible actually. And so you've had this moment of humility where you recognize your need for Jesus and you come and you lay your life down before him and he, he gives you that gift of grace. But then there's an everyday occurrence where we have to dress ourselves appropriately. This is mature Christianity that when we wake up in the morning, I decide to put humility on again. That I clothe myself in the right way. That I actually... Every day, aim to look like Christ. And that's what, that's what Peter's saying, and that's what James is writing, and that's what Jesus is saying. They're saying, humble yourselves, clothe yourselves in humility. God calls us to choose humility over being humbled. It's a choice. You know, I, 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 there's this tension in Christianity, and you could debate it like, well, we have been debating it for a couple thousand years now. Around the sovereignty of God. These words like irresistible grace. And there's this place where God draws us. And we couldn't resist him even if we wanted to. And and really there was no choice of your own. But God pulled you in whether you wanted to or not. I I disagree with that. Halfway I guess. (laughs) Because I believe that his grace is irresistible. But I also believe that at the end of the day we have to make a choice. And we see it. Through all the scriptures, we see it in Peter's admonishing. and J- They're saying, clothe yourselves. They're not saying, sit there, don't worry. Jesus is going to come along and put your clothes on for you. Most of us don't need help getting dressed in the morning. Well, my wife has needed a little help <laughs> lately. Mostly it's getting undressed. Well, I won't go anywhere from there. <laughs> Just going to stop there. This isn't a... We don't, we don't usually need help getting dressed, but yet somehow in Christianity we want to come to Jesus and we're like, hey, can you do everything for me? Like everything. I mean, have you ever tried to take your coat off in the car? I mean, there's sometimes when you need a hand, like, hey, can you grab that sleeve and pull it? And You're trying to get your shoulder and arm out. There's moments where you need some help and Jesus is willing to do it. But sometimes I think in Christianity we come kind of lazy and we're like, hey, Jesus, just do everything. But it's not the way it works. He says, clothe yourselves, humble yourselves. There's this place where we're supposed to actually do some of the things Jesus calls us to do. Matthew 23, let's read some more scriptures that Jesus talks about in humility. Matthew 23, verse 12. Now, if you ever read Matthew 23, it's quite a harsh chapter. And all of the harsh language from this chapter is Jesus towards the religious people. You see, the religious leaders, Jesus, the only time we see him really angry in the scriptures at all is towards people who represent him. But they're doing it poorly. And he gets angry. He gets frustrated. We see moments where literally he's flipping tables. And and in this whole chapter, he constantly is like saying, woe to you, and what sorrow awaits you, and And he's talking to the religious leaders. And in the midst of that, in verse 12, he says this. Well, verse 11, let's start there. He says, the greatest among you must be a servant. You see, Jesus is flip-flopping our understanding of influence and authority in the world. And then he says, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus works the opposite the way we think. You see, we think if we strive that we're going to be exalted, but the reality is Jesus is saying if you serve and humble yourselves, then you'll really be exalted. And even then, it's not in the way we hope it's going to be. That's the difference. His kingdom is different than the way we think. Jesus lives differently than the way we naturally want to live. Humility is not something that we're all reaching for. There's this idea behind it that almost makes you look weak or act weak. And, but yet we look in the kingdom of God and we look at Jesus' modeling of life for us. And humility is one of the base things we have to do. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled and th- those who humble themselves will be exalted. Proverbs 22.4, I, I put the, just so you know there's a mistake in your notes, I put Proverbs 22.14, it's wrong. That's something um, about immorality. We don't need to get into that. Proverbs 22:4, it says, Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. This is an interesting statement. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Now, listen: if, there, if there's been any kind of topics that get misrepresented in Christianity, this is one of them: fear of the Lord. I mean, even just the wording makes us honestly think we're supposed to be a little bit afraid of God. But that's not what it's trying to say. This idea of fear of the Lord, it's it's this idea of putting off familiarity and holding something of value in in a place of awe. You know, when I think about this idea of fear of the Lord, I think about my relationship with my wife. There's this place where we've been married 19 years. And I see this happen in marriages. I see this happen in all sorts of relationships. There's a place where we grow familiar with one another. There's a place where familiarity takes over this sense of awe and wonder. And so the familiarity leads us to actually treating that person differently than maybe even we once treated them and you'll see it in marriages people that just kind of are like oh yeah the person's there but at one point you woke up and all you thought about was that person and how you could win that person over and how you could show your love for that person there's this place where that initial place of falling in love with someone had this awe and wonder that's what this fear word is supposed to bring out There's a place where we hold something in a place of awe and wonder, and we don't just grow familiar with it where we end up devaluing it. And so when we see this idea of the fear of the Lord, it's a place where we actually have an experience with God, and we keep him in this right place, and we don't grow overly familiar where we end up treating him in a way he shouldn't be treated. And that's why it says humility is the fear of the Lord. That there's a place in us as Christ followers, as much as we are children of the Most High God and we're friends of God and we're adopted into his family and we can call him Abba Father, all the things that the scripture says, as much as those are true, there's a place where we're supposed to come in humility towards God. That there's a reverence about our relationship with God that we never grow to this place where it's so familiar we kind of treat him as commonplace it says, humility is the fear of the Lord, that literally we're supposed to be able to come into the presence of God with a sense of humility. Now listen, I I love the scripture that says, our sins are as far from us as the east is from the west. And it literally just means that we're supposed to, there's this immeasurable distance between the mistakes we've made in our life and where we are now. That God has separated them from us, and that's amazing. But there's also a healthy place to remember what God saved you from. To remember what you were like before you knew Jesus. To remember what he pulled you out of. And there's this place that when you remember those kinds of things, when you remember what Jesus actually did to save you in your life, then you come with this humility and this reverence and this awe and this wonder where you know you need him. why Jesus, even before he hangs on the cross, he says, you need to pick up your cross daily and follow me. Now we read it in retrospect when he says that, because we know what takes place on the cross, but imagine being the listeners at the moment, they're not, they don't know what he's talking about. What do you mean pick up your cross? You mean we have to die daily? Yes. Yes, there's this, this daily death in our lives where we, we say to these, these words, less of me and more of you God let there be less of me in this sense of of who I want to be and what I want to look like and how I want my life to be created and let it be more of you and when we do that then actually we come in humility towards God and we have this right awe and wonder, this fear of the Lord of him and it, it creates the opportunity for God to do all the things he's promised I think sometimes And there's a tension in this. There's this place where we believe in all the things that God's promised us, and we believe for miracles, and we believe for all these things, but yet we almost come with a slight haughtiness to get them. Almost a little bit of a demand. And there's a tension because we are children of the Most High God, and He calls us a royal priesthood, but then there's this place where we're supposed to only do that in humility. That even though we have a status in the kingdom of God we're supposed to be humble about it. That we come to our king and to our God with this humility of heart, this humility of life and then upon that he freely wants to give us all the things he's promised us. Humility is the fear of the Lord. 2 Chronicles 7 This is a a verse that's often quoted i want to read it again today second chronicles seven fourteen. this is god right at the dedication of the temple he's speaking these words out being recorded it says then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and restore their land. You see, there's this if-then that takes place in this statement. If my people, then I will do. And the very first thing it says we have to do is this. Humble ourselves. That if we would approach God in a, in a humble way, in humility that it then begins to release the things God wants to do in us. It says, humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, turn from their wicked ways, which is just a way of saying repent. And repentance, you know, we've turned into this odd, weird, maybe harsh-sounding idea, but the truth is when, when it said Jesus went about preaching the good news and he said repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, we always, you know, it's like we picture the guy in the street corner that's yelling turn or burn. That's not what he was talking about. When he said repent, he just simply meant turn away from the way you're going and go towards the kingdom of God. That's why he said turn, he said repent, for the kingdom of God is near. He's saying, listen, you're headed in this direction. Your life looks like this. You're headed away from the kingdom of God. Now you can turn because the kingdom is near. And so there's this 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 humble moment where we have to realize oh maybe i've gone the wrong way the the problem is that most of us act in life like men do when we're lost we don't want to admit it i'm not lost just go say are we lost like no as long as i know how to get back to where i was i'm not lost now i might not know where i'm going We don't want to admit we're lost, but there's this humble moment where we have to say, oh, I'm lost, and I'm going to turn from where I'm headed, and I'm going to go somewhere else now. And the somewhere else is supposed to be the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It's near. It's not far from you. It's not distant. It's not disconnected. That was the good news that Jesus was saying. And so this repent idea, even though it sounds like almost this harsh thought, it's literally a pleading to say, listen, you're lost. Just realize it. Realize it in turn from going down those strange roads that are going to lead you somewhere you don't want to be and turn this way. It's actually near. You don't even have to go far. And so God, he's saying this even at the dedication of the temple. If you would just humble yourselves, pray and seek my face, turn from your wicked ways. Now, wicked, it, you know, we say it a lot, I guess, in, you know, the Boston area and the northeast. But the truth is this. It literally just meant crooked path. A crooked path. That's why he's saying, turn from your crooked path. Why do you want to live on a path that looks like that? Just stop going down that crooked way and come this way. And there's this pleading that God's saying, even from the beginning of the Old Old Testament to the New Testament where Jesus, he's saying, repent. All you have to do is turn and be humble enough to realize you're probably a little lost. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sins and restore their land. Now literally he's talking about Israel in this moment, but the truth is their land, that's your life. (laughs) He will restore your life. He will restore who you are, but you have to come in humility. You know, the last number of weeks there's been all sorts of stuff being talked about around Asbury University and what's happening there you know there's this revival you know is what they're using the word for this awakening and I I loved I don't know if you've checked it out at all and I've I've watched a few videos I love part of it because it's completely unimpressive in all the ways that we would think it should be it's just a bunch of people in a room singing worshiping and when you go back if you read how it started what it was this guy gave this message about the love of god and he actually pleads with the students because these are all theological seminary students who are about to go out into ministry and he's saying if you have not had an experience with the love of god you need to have that above everything else you've learned here if you haven't had that you need to have an experience with god's love and this student gets up at the end after he's done his message he gets up in front of everybody And basically awkwardly repents of his life. He confesses his sins in front of everybody. And it says about 50 students stayed behind and prayed with him. And then those students started to confess to one another the things going on in their life. And they started to pray for one another. And then everybody started hearing, wait, they're still in there praying? And people started coming back. And I look at that and I think, I love how Jesus works. Here, you know, at, at every small town across the United States, and you've got people with planned revivals every weekend in the summer, right? They put their tent up. We're going to have a revival this weekend. But yet, what you have is this moment where this student, in probably one of the most awkward ways, humbles himself, and it's like heaven takes notice. Says, Jesus takes notice of this moment simply why not because it was planned or produced well not because the worship service was the best or the preaching was the best but because a student got up and said i need to lay my life down i need to be humble in this moment and i think we're seeing the promise of second chronicles happen if you'll humble yourselves and pray and seek my face, turn from your wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will heal your land. This is the promise of heaven. This is the promise of God. And I think to myself, you know we get together every week and we we sing and we we hear messages, but yet sometimes I think we do it in such a rote way, it's like we've forgotten the humility aspect of it. To come into this place every Sunday, and and the truth is we should just be bearing our hearts and our souls to say, Jesus, do whatever you want today. That should be our words. It's been my prayer literally every morning this week. I said, Jesus, do whatever you want. Whatever you want this Sunday. Whatever you want to do in my life, do whatever you want. That is the humility of what it means to be a follower to actually lay our life down and say, Jesus, do whatever you want. Isaiah 57, 15. Again, a, a prophetic word that's being written. It says, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. There's this this word that's being recorded from God, he says that he resides with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. That humility, that word contrite, it's a posture word. And he says that he, he's looking at this, and I think humility has this posture. And, and, and really, if you look at things really from the beginning of time, it was an easily understood idea that contrite, or this. it was actually um, translated also as penitent. It meant kneeling down. And across almost every culture, every religion, people understand what it means when someone kneels. It's an act of humility. It's this act of, of, in a sense, being subservient to whatever you're kneeling before. And God's saying that, that His Spirit resides with those who are contrite, and humble, that he'll restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. He's saying, if you want what I have for you, it has to come with this contrite posture of your life. That your life has to be one of humility. It has to be one of being, in a sense, this lowly place. That's why Jesus was constantly speaking in opposites, When he was teaching his disciples, when he was teaching the religious leaders, it's why he was actually so angry at the religious leaders. Because they had completely flip-flopped it on them. They had elevated themselves above everyone else. Yet they were supposed to be those who served. They had made their whole religion in Judaism about themselves and about the religious laws and all these things. And yet Jesus is saying, no, it's supposed to be the opposite of this. And I think, honestly, in Christianity, we're we're always in a danger of doing the same thing. Making this about us. And it is, there's a half-truth. Again, it's this tension of like, yes, Jesus is here to heal you and to show you his love. But there's this place where it has, the prerequisite of all of those things is a humble heart. A place of humility. A place of having a contrite spirit. Of actually having a posture of kneeling before God and saying, God, do whatever you want to. John four twenty three, Jesus says this, and we're going we're gonna to get ready into worship here in a moment. This is John 4, 23. Jesus says, the hour is coming and is now here. I love this. This is Jesus. A couple thousand years ago, but he's still saying, the hour's coming and is now here. I think it's true for us right now, as true as it was then. You know, we're, we're always looking for these moments of awakening or revival or, or of God moving in this new way, but the truth is it's always here. I think it's just waiting on us to respond. It's waiting on us to respond in the right spirit, in the right posture, for us to actually see God move. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Worship. Now we, we kind of synonymously think about it in terms of music. But that's really not what this is about. Worship was completely about a posture. In fact, that word literally meant your forehead was touching the ground. That was the first form of worship, before music, before anything else. It was a posture of someone kneeling and putting their head to the ground, and it was this symbol that everything I'm, I'm kneeling before is above me. And in John 4, Jesus says that he's, he's literally looking for them, that there's these true worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. And so today, this is, this is my heart. And that's why I wanted to speak first, that we would not just go through another worship time. Maybe almost doing it a little bit robotically for those of us that have been in church for a long time or systematically. But actually that we would come with the right posture today. And we would just simply say, Jesus, do whatever you want to. Holy Spirit, do whatever you want to in me. Let my head be bowed low. Let me kneel before you in a posture today of saying, I want to enter in humility. I want to hold you in awe and wonder, God. I want to hold you in this right place. And I'm not going to dictate what you do, but I just want you to do something. How don't we stand? I don't know about you, but I just, I'm just desperate for God to do anything. I just want him to show up and do anything. Because I know that his anything is always better than my best plans. It's always better than even my biggest dreams and my biggest hopes and my biggest prayers. That if Jesus shows up, if the Holy Spirit shows up, he's always going to do something better than I even expect him to. And so as we worship today, this is is what I want to challenge you. And we're going to play this first song that we've been playing, Gratitude. And then, you know, a little ways in, after a few songs, I, I want to do a time where we pray over people. We'll do an altar call. I want to I just believe that God is going to minister today. Listen, it's 9.53. We've got at least the 37 minutes to just let the Holy Spirit move in us. But this is what I want. Try to put aside every distraction. Put aside everything else that's going on in your life and in your world. And can we just come before God in a humble way? Maybe you're in this room or watching online and you're like, I'm not sure I even know God. This is how you get to know him. In humility. A simple recognition that says, Jesus, I think I might be lost. <laughs> and I don't want to keep going this crooked way. I want to know you. I want to follow you. And right then and there it begins he'll start to move in your life he'll start to speak in your life and for those of us who've been Christians maybe for a short time or a long time for us it's like a reawakening you know revival means to just be wakened up again revival doesn't start with people who don't know Jesus it starts with those who do because we've fallen asleep and so my word today is this wake up wake up a little today Get a little bit desperate in your heart. Jesus, do anything in me. Do anything in this place. Do anything in my family. Do whatever you want to in this region. God, we cry out for you that there'd be this cry in our hearts as we worship today. So I'm going to pray. We're going to go into this song. And that's what I want to do. If you want to, listen, the front is open. Do something out of the ordinary in worship today. Get out of your seat. Come up. Kneel down at your seat. I don't care. Do something a little out of the ordinary. But push out of your comfort zone and enter in humility this morning. God, we just thank you for what you're doing. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this country, God. We thank you for what you're doing in people's lives. God, we thank you for what you're doing in us and in this place. But, God, we ask for more today. God, we don't want to be satisfied with what we've always known or even just learning the scriptures or learning certain ways, but, God, we want to experience you in a new, refreshing way. So, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come this morning. God, come in power. Come with your spirit, God. Overwhelm our hearts, our souls, God. Overwhelm our minds with your goodness, with your joy. God, we just declare that you are in this place, and that we, God, we just open our lives to you to do whatever you want to. In Jesus' name, let's worship together. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week, and have a blessed day.